Second Chronicles, very infamous, infamous passage of Scripture here in Second Chronicles chapter number 7. But we're going to start reading in verse number 12. You had to say amen. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, and if I send pestilence among my people. Now this is the verse that everybody quotes, but there has to be a context. Look at verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And I have entitled this tonight, I, it's just, to me, it's, it's a title that encompasses the grandeur of this verse, a prayer for the ages. Would you repeat that after me? A prayer for the, a little louder. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for all these wonderful people that braved the elements to be in the house of God tonight. We pray that your word and your spirit gives illumination, understanding, comprehension, direction, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Now, messages come to me in a couple different ways. Um, Those of you under the sound of my voice that preach, you understand what I'm saying, that there is a way that God gives you a message. And in my situation, I kind of look at it like it's a garden in which God will give me a seed thought or more than a seed thought. And as I continue to give myself to that thought, um, theologically developing it and working with it, masticating, that means to chew on it, ruminate, means to continue to chew on it. Then God continues to give me more until it's ripe and ready to preach. It's not the only way in which 
I feel like God gives me something, but it is a tried and true, experienced method in which I feel like God gives me something that we need to talk about. For the last several days, I just have not been able to escape this. Um, There just is no denying in my mind and in my heart that this is what God wants us to talk about. And I have found that if we will move in the direction that God has for us, then God, God does things. Or God does something. God does something specific. Um, this is an incredible chapter of Israel's history. There, there could be, um, there might be reason to say that this is one of the rare occasions in the history of the nation of Israel that they actually experienced what I would call glory days. Um, glory days is, is my term for a period of time in which the nation of Israel was at its height. And it has certain characteristics and qualifications um, that make it so. And this is, this is one of those periods. This is not the most often quoted verse in the Old Testament. That is reserved for Psalm 23, most notably verse number one, but several other verses in Psalm 23. However, it is an oft-quoted Verse and it's extremely familiar to Christendom. Um, and for that matter, even Judaism. However, you have to understand that the Jews have a preference when they get together and they look at the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called the Pentateuch or the Torah. They are very specific what they're willing to take a look at. And this, this is a known fact. They do not like to go in and talk about the prophets. Um, most of the history in the Old Testament regarding the nation of Israel is negative. Um, and I'm not trying to be negative when I say that, but it's just a reality. God's dream and ideal for the nation of Israel was never realized. It was never fully realized. Um, one scripture, I think, that encapsulates that really well is the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where it's almost a New Testament commentary on the entire process of coming out of Egyptian bondage and going into the wilderness. And the Apostle Paul, of course, is the author, and he says, with many of them, 
God was not well pleased. The reality of it is that was really a familiar feeling that God had with the nation of Israel. They did not, they did not fully comprehend who they were and the effulgence of responsibility that came with being God's people. There's a lot of people that, and I believe we should pray for Jerusalem. I believe that we should, there are, there are brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Um, they don't believe that, but we believe that. And Romans chapter 11 is very specific that the day will come that we'll be all part of the same deal and we'll be able to recognize one another. Um, this verse of Scripture is basically has a New Testament equivalent, which would be Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. Um, and that is a very familiar passage of Scripture to us where the disciples actually approach Jesus and, and, and say, teach us to pray. Those elements are in this. The nation of Israel, there was a prophecy, a very, it was a nuanced prophecy that was given to Abraham I believe it was in Genesis chapter number 15, but it was very nuanced in that the time would come that the children that would come from Abraham would possess the land from the Euphrates, which is where Abraham originated. He originated on the shores of the Euphrates River. It is by far the most famous uh, biblical river, even going into the book of Revelations, the Euphrates is mentioned, I believe, in Revelations chapter number eight. But nonetheless, God gave the promise that your descendants will possess the land between the two great rivers. That has incredible prophetical significance. Well, when you're looking at Solomon here, He possesses all of the land between the Euphrates River and the Nile River. The Euphrates River being one of the cradles of civilization made most famous by the Babylonians and the Nile River is made famous by the Egyptians. Those are historically known as the cradles of civilization. Egypt, of course, represents the world and Babylon represents false doctrine as a typology. And so this is one of the, this is a glorious season in the history of the nation of Israel in that they have incredible prominence, pageantry, and preeminence. They are no longer the ghetto folks from Goshen. They're no longer subjected to the Amalekites as they travel through looking for water. They're the most powerful nation on earth. They are feared. They are 
revered. They are looked up to, and Solomon is looked up to as a world leader. We know this because in the next chapter or two, the Queen of Sheba makes a special trip because she's heard of the fame of not just Solomon, but she's heard of the fame of the order of God's house. And the incredible flourishing of blessings and order that is found in God's house and under the leadership of Solomon. Here um, in 2 Chronicles in 7, just to lay a little bit of a foundation because it's really critical to understand this before we take a closer look at this verse, but Solomon has just completed seven years, several months, and a couple days of constructing the house of God. It, it is no small feat. Um, it was originally in, Dave, in David's heart to do this. This is one of the things that engendered God's favor on David when it was in David's heart to build a house for God. But David could not build the house of God because he was a bloody man. And so God said that your son, he that comes from your loins, will be the one that will build this house. And so it's, it's more than just a temple. You're talking about the fluidity and, and solvency of prophecy that is continuing down generationally. And that's a big deal in the word of God. It was the crowning achievement of the reign of Solomon to build this house. Some amazing facts about this temple. Um, it was not constructed in the typical sense that we think of a construction site with hammers and nail guns and people yelling at the top of their lungs because they can't hear one another and machinery going on. God didn't want any of that. God did not want the clanging of banging instrumentation. And so the components of the temple were actually fabricated in another place. They actually had a quarry. The exterior of this temple was solid white marble. And it was almost, if you were to see it, it was almost seamless. It looked, it looked like the entire building was cut out of a mountain of marble. For a long time, people have been estimating the value of this temple. Pastor, are you going to ever get around to Second Chronicles? Yeah. Just take another bite of popcorn and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get there. 
Somebody said that if you were to take the value of all the gold and silver and all the finery and marble and furnishings and so on and so forth and get a price on it, that it would be around $1 trillion. My brain doesn't go out that far. Somebody else said it's worth millions and millions. Somebody else said it's billions and billions. You can, you can, you can make this stuff say whatever you want it to say because there's so many different opinions out there. Let's just, let's just say that it was priceless. You could not put a price on this. There was 3,000 tons of gold that was used on this divine edifice. They employed over 3,000 foremen to oversee the particular the particulars of putting this incredible edifice together. There were artisans, masons, craftsmen, artists, carpenters. There was 30,000 tons of silver that was used. And we could just go on and on. And you're thinking, well, man, it must, it must have been, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just a fraction of the size of the building that we're sitting in here tonight. It was not a large building. It was 45 feet tall. It was 100 feet and some change in length. It was not a massive building. But it was a costly building. And Solomon oversaw all of this. And as I already mentioned, it was the crowning achievement of his reign. On the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of the feasts that required a pilgrimage, the nation of Israel was had not really experienced a diaspora yet or a dispersing, but they were far flung. And this was one of the feasts where they required that they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles that they dedicated Solomon's temple. There were musicians, there were choirs, there were singers, there were priests, there were elders, on and on and on and on. There was incredible sacrifice that was taking place during this incredible celebration. 22,000 head of cattle were slain as a sacrificial offering. 120,000 sheep and goats were slain as a sacrifice. 
for this incredible house of God. The capstone of this celebration that went for days was Solomon's prayer. Solomon, knowing that God was the God of heaven and earth, took his right posture by getting on his knees and worship and prayed unto God. Now, there are famous prayers in the Old Testament. Um, and this morning, as I was putting this together, I began to think of some of the, not just because I liked them, but they were genuinely, they were, they were prayers that transcended both the occasion and time, like the prayer of Psalm 51, the repentance and the prayer of David that has become a source of hope to millions and millions and millions of people ever since. Hezekiah's prayer for healing in which God added 15 years to his life was another, another famous prayer. Jacob's prayer and request and wrestling with an angel. Moses' intervention and intercession as God said that he would destroy the nation of Israel and create an entire, another group. But Moses intervened and interceded. All famous prayers. But there is something about Solomon's prayer when you, when you lay it as an overlay for this incredible, okay, it's the fulfillment of prophecy, it's the height, it is the maximum height, the crescendo, the apex of the influence of the nation of Israel. It is the fulfillment of prophecy because Solomon is building this temple as God said he would. There has been incredible display of pageantry and celebration and sacrifice untold. And now Solomon begins to pray. In Solomon's prayer, there are seven requests that all use the same phraseology. And the phraseology that Solomon used, if thou will hear from heaven. What's interesting is he didn't say that you would hear from the sanctuary. Solomon understood that God was bigger than a building. And, but he used that phraseology seven times that if you would hear from heaven, he used it in verse 32, he used it in verse 34, verse 36, verse 39, verse 43, verse 45, and verse 49. And then Solomon 
makes an end of his prayer. God responds with fire and power. And it becomes an incredible culmination of God's spirit moving upon this new temple. In my theological opinion, I do not believe that God moved because of Solomon's prayer. I believe God was waiting for Solomon to finish. God already had his intentions. He already knew what he was going to do, but this, nonetheless, this was, this was the centerpiece. This was the final act in this dedication is that God moved powerfully to commemorate this incredible dedication. Everybody said, praise the Lord. You still out there? You know, I know we jump around a lot. Sometimes it's good to just sit there. And I really think that I may give up the ghost while I'm running the aisles in this church. Um, some, of you have no, some of you think I'm cheating, but I can only make it to back there. After the second or third time, I can only make it to back there. So, hallelujah. Maybe I need one of those bottles of oxygen back there with a mask on. Maybe I need to have several young men that can pinch hit for me and run for me. We'll work on that. So God finally answers Solomon's prayer. Not what he did at the temple. That was not God's answering Solomon's prayer. That was God putting his approval on the fulfillment of a prophecy. God answered Solomon's prayer at night. And he came directly to Solomon. Now you have to understand, as I've already mentioned, in Solomon's prayer he had seven requests. I believe it was very well thought out. I believe that Solomon did this. He knew that seven is God's perfect number. It's a number of completion. And so he had seven different requests. All different scenarios were connected to that. Everything from the people to the kingdom to me, everything. But God responds to him and comes to him at night. And this is where we pick up our story here in 2 Chronicles chapter number seven. And the Lord appeared, I'm in verse number 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Okay? Now Solomon took an entire chapter to pray. 
and God encapsulates the, the, the real gist of it. The, if you could compress it and, and just continue to micro it down into its essence, it would be right here in a couple verses. Look at verse 13. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, that means you won't eat. Or if I command the locusts to, to devour the land, you won't plant. Or if I send pestilence among my people. Now this is, this is talking about discipline. This is talking about chastisement. This is talking about it getting real bad. If I do all these things, look at verse number 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Why is that the prayer of the ages, because everything that you and I need is in that verse. I don't care if I don't care if you're in Spokane, Washington. I don't care if you're in if you're about to be hit by a hurricane in Florida. And all the Floridians say, "Amen." I don't care where you are on planet Earth. Everybody needs this verse. Very first thing that I want to point out to you, if my people, I want to tell you why this is unusual, because you don't see very often in the entirety of the word of God where God's people even prayed. It was usually the king, the prophet, or the priest. And the prophet represented God to the people, and the priest represented the people to God. And the king was a governmental forward slash political figure that was required by the people because they didn't want a theocracy. God is saying, my people are going to pray. Are you getting this tonight? When I, when I finally started putting two and two on this, you, you have to understand a little bit about the Old Testament to appreciate that. God is not saying, Solomon, you're gonna pray for the people or, or typically that the priest would pray for the people as he's offering on the Day of Atonement uh, going into the holiest of all or, or it's the prophet that's intervening and interceding for the people. He said, no, when it gets bad, my people are gonna pray. Let's everybody in the house, let's pray for a few minutes. Oh, don't get quiet. If my people, this is amazing. This is amazing. In Exodus chapter number 19, God's original vision was that he would have a nation of priests but because the people would not accept that, he had to settle for one tribe. Under the ministry of Moses, Moses said, 
God, God would that they were all prophets. So God wanted them all priests, and God wanted them all prophets, but they rejected being priests. But God said, I'm not gonna allow the church to get out of this. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, it says, ye are a royal priesthood. Don't let the devil say that Brother Mayo is the only one that can be anointed and Brother Mayo is the only one that can be used of God and Brother Cody Marks is the only one going to be used of God. No, you are going to be used of God. If my people... That's a huge deal. That is a huge deal. In the, in the comprehension of identity in the nation of Israel. And God is saying, I am not going to let people off the hook. They're going to have to pray. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not going to make it in the 21st century without a prayer life. We're not going to make it without the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. We are not going to make it without the operation of prophecy and a message of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. We are entering in the time that the Bible says, the night cometh that no man can work. It's going to become dark. It's going to be oblique. But you and I are going to have the illumination. We are going to have a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. You can act like none of this stuff is true. It's already happening. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. I'm glad that God wanted me to be a part of this. I could have lived in the 15th century. I could have existed in the 19th century. But I'm in the end of the days. Come on, let's clap our hands and give him praise. If my people, which are called by my name, that is, that is so applicable to you and I tonight. Thank God. Praise God. Shall humble themselves. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this, this phrase has a different texture. It's almost like it's almost like this phrase doesn't belong in this verse, but yet we're talking about God. So yes, it very much belongs. But there's this, the texture is is changing now. If they shall humble themselves, the nation of Israel is not struggling for water. They are not struggling over their territories. They are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They're so full of self-sufficiency. Some of us would pray, but we just got too much. I want to tell you, it's way more dangerous to be blessed than it is to be poor. It's way more dangerous spiritually.
My goodness, when I got saved, I only had one pair of socks. And when I got done, when I got done doing what I did at church, they went squish, squish, squish. But they were the absolute happiest days of my life. I had no responsibilities. Just come in like a spiritual baby and somebody prepared the meal and everybody loves you. Everybody's praying for you. It's just like, I can float through the air. I have no responsibilities. I don't have to clean the toilets. I don't have to come up with a message. It's just that new convert hive. I would ask everybody to get up and do what I'm doing right now, but that would appear chaotic to our visitors tonight. Like Sunday didn't appear chaotic. Listen, Sunday was in the Holy Ghost. Sunday was in the Holy Ghost. And tonight is in the Holy Ghost. You're way, you're way more tempted to not be spiritual. This is why the nation of Israel represented a very unique balance because God needed a subject, not an object, but a subject in which he could bless that could mediate or demonstrate or show to the pagan world that God is real. There's only one. He's real. And it's why I'm in a house I didn't build and I'm in a city I didn't build. It's God that did that. God did that. But God, with every time that God blessed his people and fulfilled a prophecy that he originally gave to Abraham, he took a chance And there's like, there's, there's people under the sign of my voice. Like God says, this is why the Bible says you don't have to use vain repetitions. He already knows what you need. But if God gave some people what they were asking for, the Bible said you ask amiss. And God knows you'd be in the, you'd be gone. God says as long, as long, my God, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. God knows as long as there's problems in your life, you're going to be hanging around needing God. And God, in his mind, says, I want to answer your prayer. My God, I am so in the Holy Ghost right now. I feel it all over me. If God was to give you what you're really asking for, you would be gone in a New York second. But God's got to keep that delicate thread. He's not against you. He loves you too much. To I wish somebody would clap your hands. Yeah, you're doing things exactly like you want to do them, and God's going to let you do that. God ain't going to even stop you. You're in way more danger with money pad in your pockets and this and that and this. We don't even need to pray. We don't even need to be submitted to the pastor. That's for, that's for people that can't add two, two plus two. Now you just think you're blessed. Humble themselves and pray. Because Israel was riding on eagle's wings. 
they were the most powerful, glorious, supernaturally impregnated people on the face of this planet. But God said, when it gets bad, I don't want the priest praying. I don't want the prophet. I don't even want you, Solomon. I want my people to remember who blessed them and remember who brought them out of that and remember who brought them out of the miry clay and who brought them out of the den of affliction and who... Come on, somebody, clap your hand. This is the prayer for the ages. And if you'll remember it and live by it, it's the only prayer you'll ever need. The counterpart to this is Revelations chapter 3. Would you go to that, please, Brother Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods, that was Israel under Solomon, and have need of nothing, that was Israel under Solomon, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not physically, spiritually. In fact, this is the the only condition of all the seven churches of Asia Minor where Jesus is not even in the house. So it was impossible for them to have any type of supernatural discernment or to really know where, I I wanna really know where I'm at with God. How do you do that? You don't go out and start washing the car. You don't go out and say, well, look how much money we got in retirement, our 401k, if there's any, anybody that still believes in that stuff, or any of this, that, and the other. No, you, you pray. You get Jesus in the house. You open the door. Let him come in, and Jesus will reveal things to you, not to hurt you, not to punish you, not to put you down, but to sup with you. That's why this, this prayer, in, it has captivated me. It has captivated me because everything, it is, it is this, what, what God is telling Solomon here in, in verse number 14, it, it's, 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 transcendent, it's transcendental. It transcends. It transcends the day and the time and the occasion in which God gave it to Solomon. It transcends the nation of Israel. It transcends the church. It's, it's, it's everybody. And ladies and gentlemen, there's just sometimes, there's just sometimes, instead of getting on my iPhone, I just need to pray. In fact, if you heard my devotional, this church, this one, we're going back to the basics because you're not going to survive in the 21st century with social. You are not going to survive with, with being all the savvy with all that. And I'm not putting people down that use that stuff. And we use it as a church. I'm just saying that that's not where that doesn't really matter. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's purposelessness. It has, it has no, it has no redeemable value. 
But I'll tell you what does have redeemable value is when a church knows how to pray. And the church, this is why, this is why I love talking to saints of God that came through the depression and came through a world war and came through hard time because they understood that God is my helper and God is my tower and the name of the Lord is a strong tower and we wouldn't be here without God. We had to come through the valley. We, my God, I feel it all over me. It's the hard things that mold a man's character. It's, it's the brutal things of life that develop the character that God will anoint. I guess it's raining, isn't it? Hallelujah. Well, we're not these guys in verse number 14 because... It's raining. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Everybody said turn. turn. Say it a little louder. Turn. I'm almost 70. One more time. Turn. That means repent. I, I used to think as a new convert, I used to think that, okay, you repent one time. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been through seasons of my life where all I did was repent. Y'all still out there? I'm not up here because I'm a holy Joe. I'm up here because I know who the boss is. And I am entirely dependent upon him. Everybody said, turn from your wicked ways. Now, God has not done one thing yet. Okay, God's asking me to pray. God's asking me to humble myself. God's asking me to seek, which means it's going to take longer than five minutes or to when your, your iPhone starts buzzing. In fact, I think it's disrespectful to God to pray with your iPhone on. You ought, to, you ought to let the devil know, this thing right here, this thing does not control me, I control it. Switch off. And now I'm gonna talk to the eternal, everlasting, almighty God. This is just, turn. Repentance is the most enduring message in the entire 66 books of the Bible. Starts way over here and ends up way over here. Repentance. Repentance, repentance, the most, a prayer for all ages. Everybody say then. Then. 
he's finally getting around to answering Solomon's prayer. Then will I hear from heaven. There's a lot of people that I prayed for, not just here, but other places, but I make a mental note of things. There's a lot of people that I pray for that I discern are waiting for God. Ladies and gentlemen, God is waiting for us. Then will I hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And then I will heal. You know what's interesting about that? That exact same phraseology is found in James chapter 5. And if they have committed any sin, and, and there's three different dimensions of healing that are described there in James chapter 5. It's the only epistle that is, that is so succinct in describing healing in the church. And just by going to the elders and, and, and requesting for prayer, and if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. I wonder how many healings are dependent on people. God's waiting for people to repent. I wonder how many people are waiting to be healed and really God's waiting for you to just I'd be I'd be less I'd be less than a student of the word of God if I did not bring out these nuances. Healing and forgiveness go together in the prayer for all ages. And will forgive their sin and will heal their land, their stuff, their bodies, their relationships, their children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I really believe that the church is more challenged today to develop a prayer life than they have ever been in the last 2,000 years. I'm gonna say that again. I really believe that the church is more challenged to develop this type of a prayer life in this hour than in any other time previously over the last 2,000 years. Let's lift our hands and just praise him. I'm done. I had to share with this congregation under the direction of the Holy Ghost a prayer for the ages. with all the sacrifice, all the finery, all the, the effort. It's of, it's of no value if there's no prayer.
a relationship established by prayer. Let's stand. Now, as a good pastor, I'm going to do what I can to keep you from getting wet. So we're going to have an altar call. And maybe when we're done praying, because it's supposed to stop raining here any second. But I want to invite you to come. This is not, this is not an invitation. Hey, I'm just, a, I'm just a dirt bag doing my job. I'm just a slob doing my job. No, no, no. This is just the 21st century is going to have some champions the church is going to come out of this thing. Brother Cody Mark said it best. The church, is, the church is not going to limp through this. The church is not just going to, the church is going to come through this hour victoriously. It's going to come founded in a prayer life. So I want to invite you to come. I'm not saying you don't pray. I'm not accusing anybody of any such things. I'm just revealing to you something incredibly powerful in the word of God that when there's problems, when there's situations, when there's pestilence, when, when, when things are not, I, I've got a place I can go. I, I can get, let's pray. I, I, I don't need my iPhone. I don't need to hop online. I don't need, I don't need to reach out to another person. I need, I need God. I need God. And when I get God, God gets me. God, heal our families. Heal our souls. Heal our brains. Heal our broken hearts. Heal us, God. Forgive us and heal us. Whatever that's needed, God, I pray. Incredible God, incredible Savior, I pray whatever is needed tonight, that you're able, you're willing. The Word of God declares that you're available and willing if my people. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God, I need you tonight. I need you tonight, God. I want you tonight, God. I want to know him in the power of his spirit. I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. I want to draw close to him. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. We need you tonight, God. People in our families, people in our world, people in our households, people in our neighborhoods that need you, God. By the authority of the name of Jesus. By the authority of the name of Jesus. 
Oh, you're a precious God. You're a wonderful God. Draw us back to you, God. Posture us. Position us, oh God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Even Elijah was a man subject to like passion as we, but he prayed, had a prayer life. He could turn the rain off of an entire nation and turn it back on with the prayer life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Prayer that transcends my problems. Prayer that transcends carnality. Prayer that transcends the outer court. Leads us into the holiest of all. By the authority of the name of Jesus.